0: Bless the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting to read at verse 1. It says, to everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, and a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a portion of scripture that uh, many people are familiar with, it's quite famous even in a literary sense, Uh, there's been books written that have drawn their titles from this passage of Scripture. Uh, Many people probably have referenced it without realizing that it actually was Scripture, which is not not uncommon in the world that we live in. Uh, Scripture is often referenced and usually misquoted along the way. I want to draw your attention particularly to the fifth verse this evening, the first part of that verse where it says, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. I want to preach tonight from this thought. Which stones do you keep? Which stones do you keep? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence that is here. We thank you for your word, that it is alive, that it is powerful. And Lord, you've ordained every person to be in this place. Lord, and you've ordained that your word would be ministered. Lord, we just want your will to be done. Lord, help us, I pray, to get out of the way, as it were, Lord, to be surrendered, to be yielded, to allow your will to be accomplished in our midst, Lord God, that you would be glorified among us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Blessed Lord. For those of you who, for whatever reason, may not think that God has a sense of humor, about four weeks ago on a Saturday night, the Lord was laying these thoughts upon my heart, and I was preparing this message to preach the following morning about stones, Went to bed about 11 p.m., as nearly it was 11.30 maybe. I'm often up quite late on a Saturday night and I get up early on a Sunday morning. But about 1 a.m. I was woken up in pain with a gallstone attack. Didn't end up making it to church, ended up going to hospital and having the stone and its associated gallbladder removed the following day. So if you don't think the Lord has a sense of humor, you uh, maybe need to think again. But stones feature in the Word of God in a variety of ways. Some are good, some are not so good. Some are meant to never be moved, some are meant to be moved, and some are to be moved after a period of time. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, the Apostle Peter, by divine revelation, is asked the question of the Lord, Who do you say that I am? And Peter, with a wisdom and an understanding that was not his, but that came from God himself said to Jesus that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And when he made that statement, that incredible statement, Jesus responded to him and he said that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. And we know that the rock that Jesus spoke of was not Peter as some interpret it, but rather it was the revelation of who Jesus Christ is that He was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that is the foundational revelation upon which the New Testament church is built. That is, That, that is, the whole of the New Testament is built on that platform. And uh, just a few chapters later, the disciples were in conversation with Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and the first two verses, if you are either taking notes or want to turn there, and they were talking to Jesus about the temple. The temple was not just a house of worship, but the temple was a part of Israel's national identity. It was a part of who they recognized themselves as. And Brother Thomas, from this morning, it was a reference point for them, a very strong reference point. And it says in Matthew 24 and 1 that Jesus went out and departed from the temple and His disciples came to Him for to show Him the buildings of the temple. They said, Lord, look at this place. It's, It's pretty good. And in verse 2, Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things, verily or truly I say unto you that there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Amen. And we knew, we know with the uh, privilege we have of hindsight that we knew that that came to pass. The Jews at the time were unable to grasp what Jesus was saying and when Jesus made that statement, it is usually and quite accurately understood to be referring to the destruction of Jerusalem that took place at about 70 AD when the Roman general Titus came down against that city and wiped it out. But there is a greater implication in the words that Jesus said because he wasn't simply talking about the physical destruction of the temple, but he was also talking about the fact that everything that was in that temple and everything that that temple represented was about to be replaced through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he said, Not one stone's going to stand upon another, he, he knew because he was God manifest in the flesh that destruction would come. But he also knew that there was a new reference point coming, there was a new focal point for not only the nation of Israel, but for anybody in the whole world that would believe on Jesus Christ. And that everything that took place, firstly in the tabernacle, secondly in Solomon's temple, and then in this temple, was going to be superseded, was going to be passed over, and those things were going to become history. Amen. These stones were no longer a reference point. But as Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7, he said, Unto you therefore which believe He is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, The stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. They rejected Jesus, but he said even though they rejected him, he has still become the head of the corner. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone. Amen. Bless the Lord. Those Jews made the error of looking for a physical kingdom. But Jesus said to them, he said, don't think that it comes with observation. When they say, look here and look there, don't be distracted. He said, for the kingdom of God is within you. He was introducing something that was far superior to anything that they had ever known. Amen. Bless the Lord. These stones, the fact that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and that it is upon that revelation that the church is built, these are stones to gather these are stones to keep. These are things that we need to hang on to. They are not to be misplaced. They are not to be misunderstood. They are not to be devalued in any way. Because when we take our eyes off the cornerstone of Scripture, everything we build is corrupt. These are stones to hang on to. Amen. Now, if you would go with me to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Now I will sing, this is prophetic, this is the Lord using the prophet to speak of his relationship with the nation of Israel. He said, Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my well-beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. The Lord is challenging Israel. The prophet is writing of their failure, of how as a nation God prepared so well for them. He went before them. He made a way. He gave them victories that did not make sense in any military way, but God prepared for them a land. They entered into a land filled with milk and honey, and the Lord established everything for them, as He says in this analogy, but instead of bringing forth the kind of fruit that the Lord desired, the Scripture says that it brought forth wild grapes. Some commentators suggest that that speaks of a particular kind of wild vine that produces toxic fruit it wasn't just not good fruit, it was bad fruit. It was fruit that was not pleasing unto the Lord. The Lord speaks and He says He put a fence in place. He built a wall or a fence around that place. He, He took the stones out of the ground so that when they worked the soil that they would not be hindered, that it would be able to be turned and tilled. And He built a tower or a place to watch for animals that would come and damage the vines or eat the fruit. And yet, it seems in the words of the prophet as if all of this was pointless that the lord went to such an effort for his people and yet when he did everything except grow the fruit itself they produced fruit that was not pleasing to the lord with that in mind if you'll flip back to the new testament to matthew chapter 21 you'll see a parallel here jesus is in a conversation with the chief priests and the elders They were challenging him. They were saying, by what authority do you do the things that you do? They were basically saying, who do you think you are? You come into our cities and our towns and our nation. Tell us that we're wrong. Tell us that our hearts are hard. Tell us all these things that we're doing wrong. And they, they challenged Jesus. And when you have that understanding that that was the audience to whom he was speaking, in verse 33, Jesus said to these people, hear another parable there was a certain householder which planted a vineyard. He reached right back to Isaiah chapter 5 and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and led it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. But he starts to make it a little bit more personal to these rulers. It says, when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen, those that were supposed to look after that place, that they might received the fruits of it and the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another and again he sent other servants more than the first and they did unto them likewise but last of all he sent unto them his son saying they will reverence my son but when the husbandman saw the son they said among themselves this is the heir come let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him and when the lord therefore of the vineyard cometh what will he do unto those husbandmen and these priests and rulers in their blindness to their own sin said they say unto him he will miserably destroy those wicked men didn't realize they were pronouncing judgment upon themselves and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen which shall render him the fruits in their seasons it's exactly what happened in the new testament israel did not receive him The gospel was sent out into the whole world. And Jesus, verse 42, saith unto them, Did you never read in the scripture the stone which the builders rejected? The same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation that bringeth forth the fruits thereof. So in his conversation in his present time, he reached back to the book of Isaiah and he brought that example, that analogy that Isaiah used and he basically told these people, you are the stars of this story. But they didn't see it. They didn't recognize that it was them that he was talking about. What a terrible, terrible, tragic indictment against the people of Israel. That God had done so much for them and yet they had failed to bring forth fruit that would please the Lord their God. And we read the Old Testament we see Israel's mistakes and if we're honest, we often think how could they be so foolish? How could they miss what God was doing and refuse to obey the commandments of God and not submit themselves to God's will and to His plan? But the New Testament tells me that these things were written to be an example to us because human nature is basically the same animal in every time, in every culture, and in every part of the world. We speak different languages. We have different traditions. We have different technologies. But human nature, the basic human will that opposes God at a very basic level is consistent throughout time. Scripture shows us that. History shows us that. The society that we live in shows us that. So we need to be very careful before we begin to be critical of israel because the bible tells us that they are a warning for us in fact when you and i came to jesus there was sin in our lives there was hardness of heart there were stones in us in fact the prophet ezekiel wrote speaking primarily about the nation of israel but also beyond that about the church and he said a new heart also will i give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. It's not talking about a carnal heart of flesh. It's talking about a heart that is soft, a heart that is receptive. And I will put my spirit within you and will cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Ezekiel wrote that primarily to Israel, but in a greater fulfillment to the New Testament church. When you're born again of water and spirit, when you respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, He does something in us that is supernatural. God had, just like in Isaiah, He said that He found a piece of ground that was good and He cleaned out all the stones. They went in there and they got all the rocks and the stones out so that it would be fruitful. The Lord had to help you and I get some stones out, friends. When we first came to Him, we weren't ready for a harvest. We weren't even ready for seed, but through repentance and through the preaching of God's Word, the Lord began to turn the ground up. He began to soften our hearts and so that when the seed of the gospel went in, something began to happen. Amen. His Word found faith in us and it was mingled with faith and life began to spring forth. Amen. And something powerful took place. Instead of the works of the flesh, we began to produce the fruit of the Spirit. We were made new. I don't know about you, but the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That means that what we were before is no longer what we are now. Otherwise, we miss something. But when the Spirit of God began to work on us, you know, we can only see it looking back. But when we thought we first responded to God, He was working before that. We thought, oh, I remember the first time that I responded to God. Yeah, but you don't know when He was working on you. He was beginning to turn some soil. He was beginning to soften up some hard places so that when somebody taught you a Bible study or somebody shared their testimony with you or somebody preached the gospel to you, God was already doing a work because the book says that you cannot come to Him except He draws you first. Amen. So we were full of stones. I hate to break it to you, but that's how all of us were. Our brokenness was made whole hopelessness was turned around. We were made new soil that others might have said would never amount to anything of value. It was changed supernaturally. Jesus came in the New Testament. He told the parable that we know so well of the sower and the seed, of how when the sower went out to sow and He threw that seed, it fell on the four different kinds of ground. And I've said it before and I'll continue to say it, you can choose what kind of ground you want to be. You are not born stony or born with thorns or born on the wayside. You're born in sin. But you can choose to be fruitful. You can choose to respond to the gospel. Amen. And the Lord did a work in us. Just like He said to Israel, Israel, that nation is so much a type of what God has done in us spiritually. He said, I found this vineyard in choice place took the stones out put a hedge around about it put a tower there to protect it that tower speaks to me about the church you come here because there's people that are watching over you that are trying to help you be aware of what the enemy might try to do in your life and god did that in us and he began to sow his word in us and he desires fruit from us and thank god he enables us to produce that fruit because we could not do it on our own amen the question and I want to ask next is, is that the end of the stones? God cleans us up, sorts out our lives. Is that it? Is there never any more stones we have to deal with? Never any more things that maybe we look at them and we think, you know, that probably shouldn't be in my field. You see, as God continues to sow the word into our hearts, there are other stones that show up in our little patch of soil. Stones that were deeper, than the others see as the plow goes in the soil is turned over things have a way of making their way to the surface those of you that work in landscaping brother john you know there's layers some stones are easy to find but then you begin to dig and all of a sudden that shovel hits something that's not soil and nobody could see it was there from the surface but as the earth is turned things have a way of making their way to the surface and you know what those things do they begin to interfere with fruitfulness they begin to interfere with fruitfulness they might be suppressed hurts there might be bitterness there might be suffering from a long long time ago but when that plow hits that stone there's a clang there's a noise that's different if you ever done any digging with a shovel you know that that feeling when you you put a lot of effort into that that thrust and instead of earth that yields, you hit something hard, and there's a jarring, there's a, there's a noise that comes with that. And we have those experiences sometimes in our walk with God. We're thinking everything's going along okay, and then God sinks the plow in and something goes clang. And we go, uh-oh, there's something there. There's something there. But you know what human nature wants to do? Human nature wants to bury that thing. You know, we, we, the better thing would be get it out. But human nature says, I don't want to deal with that. Cover it over, put it back in the ground and pretend we never saw it in the first place. And walk away like nothing ever happened. But the stone's still there. You see, the enemy of our souls likes to lob stones into your patch as well. In fact, if you look in, in biblical times and in history and even in the Old Testament, when they would come into a land and defeat a particular people, if they didn't if it wasn't just about a war, sometimes there was a bit more feeling in it, they would actually take stones and spread them all across the land to make it harder for them to inhabit that place again, make it harder for them to grow crops again. In fact, in second Kings chapter three and verse nineteen, when God gave Israel victory over the Moabites, it says, And you shall smite every fenced city and every choice city, and shall fell every good tree. Cut down all the good trees. Stop all the wells of water, and mar or disfigure or damage every good piece of land with stones. He said, we don't want them going back there again. And the devil wants nothing more in a child of God's life than to hinder your fruitfulness. Hear me tonight. The devil wants to bring things into your experience that will resist the plow, that will resist the husbandman, that will resist the work of God wanting to bring forth a crop or a harvest in you as an individual. He wants nothing more than to enter. You know, the devil doesn't have a problem with Christians. He has a problem with Christians that produce fruit. If we're barren, the devil's going to leave us alone because we're not doing any damage. But he wants to bring destruction. And sadly... But very truly, sometimes there are stones that are added by others. Not just the devil, good old human beings, just like you and me. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John that Jesus was in a particular place. And again, these religious people, they dragged a woman into his presence and roughly cast her at his feet and said she was taken in the very act of adultery. I don't know where the man was. Adultery doesn't normally happen by itself, I don't believe. But they thrust this woman in the presence of the Lord and said, Moses says that she should be stoned to death. What do you say? The Bible says that Jesus stooped down, began to, seems like he began to write or to draw or do something in the sand, and there's been a lot of people speculating about what he was doing. Who knows? Maybe he did it just now, and they'll ask me about this in eternity. But it was like he didn't hear them. The Bible says they pressed him. They pressed him. Their, their, their blood pressure was up. They were angry. They were self-righteous. And then Jesus, as only Jesus could do, lifted up himself, the Bible says, and said unto them, He that is without sin among them, let him first cast a stone at her. And the Bible doesn't say this, but I believe you could have heard a pin drop. Silence. You know what the next sound was? Thud. One person dropped their stone. Thud. The next person dropped their stone and quietly tried to slip away as discreetly as they could. You were smart, you'd be the first person to leave because once the crowd got thin, it was more and more obvious. But eventually, the Lord looks up and he says to the lady, Woman, where are thine accusers? And she looks around, and this is just my imagination, so forgive me, but there's just a circle of stones. There's no people, there's just rocks. And the Lord said, she said, they're not here, Lord. And he said, neither do I, accuse you go and sin no more. Because we can be very quick sometimes to cast stones. Bless the Lord. So when God cleans us up, everything's great, but it doesn't just stay that way by itself. The devil comes against us. Sometimes other people, sometimes their own flesh, sometimes it's just their own decisions. You know, there are just some things we go through that are a product of bad choices. We've all made those. Anybody never made a bad choice? If you raise your hand and say you never made a bad choice, that was one right there. We've all made bad choices. You see, offenses hurt. Offenses hurt. They're painful. Being let down hurts being disappointed hurts but all of us both give and receive stones if we're honest not all in the same way but all of us are still in this flesh and we all give and receive stones if you don't think you ever put a stone in someone else's pat you maybe need to have another look the thing is we have to decide and this is coming back to what our message is about tonight what stones do you keep you have to choose what you do with those stones you're going to get them that's there's no argument whether it's through others whether it's through the devil whether it's through your own bad choices whether it's just through the hardships of life you're going to get stones in your patch that's that's, i don't know anybody that never has things go wrong that never has a hard time that never gets their feelings hurt that i don't know anybody that, that lives a life completely free of any of those things But we have to choose what we will do, how we will respond. Hebrews chapter 3, if you would turn there, please. I'm not going to be very long. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12 says this. It says, take heed, brethren. In other words, be very careful lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So he is speaking to a people that are with the living God that believe. And he's warning them, be careful that you don't begin to stop believing and depart from the Lord. Verse 13, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. That's been the challenge that Brother Frost has been giving us in men's prayer recently, to be steadfast and unmovable. You see, the Bible warns us here about becoming hard through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, sin is not only deceitful when it's our own let me say that again sin is not only deceitful when it's our own we can sin and convince ourselves that everything's okay but sin is possibly even more deceitful when it's somebody else's and we justify ourselves into hardening our hearts because of their actions we become deceived by their sin not by our own amen bless the lord you see we wouldn't feel the stone hit us so much i'm using this stone analogy a lot but we wouldn't feel the stone hit us so much if we didn't care it's because we care that it hurts no some we've said this before but some random stranger driving down the street abuses you it might shock you or but you think well wow, who was that What's their problem? And you come home and you tell your husband, your wife, your kids, some random person just abused me and swore at me today while I was driving down the road. It may have had something to do with your driving. Who knows? It's like the man that said his neighbor came and bashed on his door at 2 o'clock in the morning. He said, it's a good thing I was still up practicing my drums. Think about that for a moment. Bless the Lord. But when it's somebody that's distant from us, that's not close to us, That not somebody that we care about. We just put that down to somebody having a bad day, crazy person driving on the streets, there's no shortage of them. But it doesn't affect us too much. But when it's somebody that you care about, when it's family, when it's a brother or a sister in the house of the Lord, that's when it hurts. Why? Because we care. David said in the psalm, speaking prophetically about the Lord, he said, But had it been somebody else, it wouldn't have been a problem. He said, But it was you, my own familiar friend. We went to the house of God together. We ate bread together. And David was speaking about the betrayal of Ahithophel as his counselor. But he was also speaking prophetically about the betrayal of Judas with our Lord. And it was in that the fact that we care that is why we hurt. And when you get hurt, you have to decide, what will I do with this stone? What will I do with this stone? Which stones do I keep and which do I put away? You see, there is something that I want to call tonight the, the crucible of caring. A crucible, you don't know what that is. A crucible is, at least in a practical sense, a, a container, often metal, in which other softer metals are put and they are heated so that one metal becomes a liquid. You may, you've seen pictures where they pour molten liquid out of a, a vessel, pour it into a mold or into something else. That, in that environment, is called a crucible. But a crucible is also another word for a situation or a severe trial in which different elements interact, leading to the creation of something new. Things are put together and there's pressure involved and it produces something. Caring is like that. Caring is a crucible. When you care about somebody, you take a risk. When you care about somebody's situation, you care you want to make a difference and you put your emotions on the line, you go into risk being hurt. And all of us know how it feels to be hurt. Some of us have been hurt in ways that others of us cannot comprehend. But when that happens we have to decide, what do I do with the pain? What do I do with this stone that somebody's just thrown at me or thrown into my patch, as it were? Because, you see, Jesus Christ is our example. It is His love for us, His care for us, that caused Him to be willing to endure suffering that was caused by us. My sin... Put him on the cross. Your sin put him on the cross. As it were, we threw those stones. He wasn't stoned, I understand, but figuratively speaking, we threw those stones at him. But his care for us caused him to be willing to go through the suffering. He addressed that at Gethsemane, Brother David. You spoke about that this morning. He got to that place of the olive press and he said, God, if it's possible. Let there be another way. But he said, nevertheless, not what my will is, but what you will in that genuine humanity submitted to divinity. Because why? Because God so loved the world. Because he cared, he went through it. And we cannot even begin to try to be like he is because he was God manifest in the flesh and we are not. But he is still our example. And when they crucified him, Isaiah said prophetically, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so opened he not his mouth. I don't think that I can even think about being crucified and not open my mouth. But his love, it was the fact that he cared so much that even as he hung there in agony that is beyond our ability to understand, not just physical But as he bore the guilt and the shame for every sin that was ever committed, he was still able to say, Father, forgive them. Bless the Lord. That's our example. You see, when when you care, you get hurt. But the thing is, you have to make a decision when you do get hurt. Can I be like the Lord? Can this crucible bring forth more care? Whatever I'm putting into this thing and it gets poured out, am I able to get up and care again, or will I harden my heart? Harden not your heart. The writing in Hebrews said that we might not hear. It said today if you will hear His voice. Harden not your heart. The question tonight is which stones do we keep and which do we cast away? There are some things you can stand on. There are stones, there are foundations that the Bible promises us that He will never allow us to go through something that we are not able to bear, but even if it gets too much, He will make a way of escape for us. There are promises that say things like, He will never leave me, and He will never forsake me, that He will give me strength, that I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. That scripture fits better with going through pain than it does with doing great things for Jesus, because the context is about struggle and suffering. And we have to make up our minds, am I going to care again? Am I going to care again? When you hear and feel the thud of somebody's stone, you have to choose what is going to be poured out of that crucible. You see, some of the most caring Christians that I know are people that have been through things and been hurt in ways that I cannot even begin to comprehend. And if it was me, I'd have quit. But God didn't call me to go through that. But God calls all of us to deal with stones. God calls all of us to deal with those things. And we have to decide what is going to happen in that crucible. When, in, when that struggle and that intense trial takes place and things add and it produces something new, what's the new thing, friends? Is it hardness? Or is it more care? God, help me to love again. Help me to pour it out again. Help me to be willing to be vulnerable again. He came unto His own. Not random strangers, His own. He'd sent them prophets for centuries. He'd done miraculous things for them. He'd even told them that He was coming. and even given them the ability to work out almost right down to the day when the Messiah would come. And the Bible says they did not receive Him. And He stood and He looked over that city of Jerusalem with a broken heart, and he said, I would have gathered you. I want to care for you, but you would not allow it. Did he say, That's it? Forget the lot of you. No, no. He still went to Calvary. And if you read this Bible, he still loves that nation of Israel. But he also loves us to not. Bless you. Let's stand together. Sister Stenker, if I could have you on the piano, please. a little bit of a different message. I don't know if you're expecting Apostolic Identity Part Three, but that's when I come back. But there is a time to gather stones, and there is a time to cast them away. And what happens to us in our walk with God is very significantly influenced by which stones you keep. Which stones you keep? Because I, I don't know, but I want to produce fruit for God want my life to be fruitful i don't want there to be things in my little piece of soil that are hindering the work that god wants to do in me i don't want there to be hurt when people have trodden all over your emotions or when you've tried to help somebody and it's just been trashed and it just it hurts when you care about people we've all felt that every parent that's had a child's felt that but because of love you care again That's our model. He is our role model. Because I don't even want to try to understand how many times I've hurt him. How many times that he's provided for me and cared for me and done things for me that I will never even begin to deserve and I've treated it with disregard and disrespect and irreverence. But he still cares. He presses through. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes to know. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. See, what happens in a church when we don't deal with the stones properly is we all get guarded. We all stop caring. I'm not saying we're all doing that, but that can, what, that can be what happens. We care about one another, but then somebody hurts somebody. Somebody hurts somebody else. Somebody lets somebody down somebody disappoints us happens when you're in ministry and leadership happens in every other part of walking with god people disappoint leaders leaders disappoint people it's the human experience (laughs) but we have to decide am i still going to let god's love flow through me Am i going to lock this thing up stop here you see you cannot get hard in your heart and keep your ears open to the word of god When you harden your heart, you also lose your hearing. That's what the Bible says. If you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Bless the Lord. Two greatest commandments of all. Love God with everything you've got and your neighbor as yourself. God help us to extend that love and that care again and be willing to be hurt again because it's not a guarantee you want, but it's there. You'll get hurt. But that's when we become in a place where we have an opportunity to be Christ-like. God, help us in that crucible, in that place of pressure. Pour out something new out of me, God. Give me more compassion. Help me, Lord, to recognize, as Paul said, the fellowship of your sufferings. It goes hand in hand with the power of his resurrection. Hallelujah. I feel the spirit of the Lord here. Let's just lift our hands and worship here.